Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you, Josh. Hey, let me say thank you to everybody watching online at our Rossville campus. Thank you so much for being there as well. I know a lot of people traveling today, and we're thrilled to join us that way online. Well, again, I introduced him earlier, Mark Carpenter, and we're, we're going to have a biblical conversation on uh, fatherhood today, and really about men in general. And so um, here's, how we, here's how we got here, right? We, um, we texted the men, and we're like, hey, tell us something you want to know about uh, you know, being a better dad or husband and, and Mark, we, we got, we got responses and men, 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 thank you for your responses. We're, we're answering a lot of your questions this morning and talking about your questions this morning. Uh, but then I felt like we didn't get enough response. So men, I don't know if you know this or not. We texted your wives and we got twice as many responses from the women as we did the men. And the men were like, uh, the men were like this, I want to know how to be a better dad. And women were like, I'm going to tell you what you need to tell that guy, and here's what you need to tell him. And so we had some great discussion going on this morning. Thank you for being part of that. I, I want to set it up uh, a little bit. Uh, if you dig into some research on fatherhood, you, you just, you, you barely have to be able to know how to use the internet to find out how important fatherhood is. For example, here, here's some things, and here's why we're having this discussion today. Children with involved fathers, that, that, that Pew Research, children with involved fathers. Here's some things you learn. Nearly 40%, they're nearly 40% more likely to earn A's in school if the father's involved. 45% less likely to repeat a grade. 60% less likely to be expelled or suspended from class. 80% less likely to spend time in jail. 75% less likely to have a teen birth. That's if the dad is plugged into the home, those are the outcomes. Researchers have known for a while that kids who, who feel the loving presence of their father are less likely to use drugs and they do better in school. That's the importance of fatherhood, just at a quick snapshot. The, the importance of being a good husband, because we're going to talk about some of that today. I saw this literally on Business Insider, which sometimes have great research. They said, according to developmental science, it links homes with higher levels of conflict to children having more physical health problems, emotional problems, and social problems later on in life. And it goes on to talk about all those. So when the husband and wife aren't getting along well, that affects the children uh, very much long term. So dads, we, we have this great responsibility um, in fatherhood and being a husband that uh, it matters, and it matters for generations to come. And so I know if you're a dad like me and some of you granddads like me, a lot depends on us and we want to do well. So here's what we're going to do today. We've got uh, seven, seven questions we're going to go over. And, and by the way, all these are rooted in Scripture. I'll say some Bible verses probably uh, just to set the context for uh, what the Bible expects us up. For example, Proverbs 22, 6. 
Uh, that, you know, it says today, start children off in the way they should go. When, when they are old, they will not turn from it. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's our responsibility. Colossians 3, 21. Fathers, do not embitter your children or you'll become discouraged. All that to the fathers. And then as husbands, there's that, only that one verse you need. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So like, if, if, if you be a dad, oh, by the way, you have to do this for your wife as well. So there's plenty of biblical admonition for what we're going to talk about. Today, Mark's going to talk from the counselor Christian dad standpoint. I'm going to add a little commentary from the pastor Christian dad standpoint. So we, we've got about seven questions here we're going to go over that is how we summarize every every one of these questions you gave us so we're going to have a discussion around these questions and hopefully help you out you guys ready you ready mark you ready all right so mark we saw several responses about being a godly dad let's start there can you paint a picture of what you think a godly dad looks like um the first way i would put it is bottom line it's a man who's hard after god that's that's the most simplistic way I can put it. But what what's a heart? When Scripture talks about what's your heart, it's your mind, your emotions, and your will. So your thoughts, emotions, and choices all directed towards God. And then from there, what that does is then it produces the next the next highest priority, which is to love their mother well, mm. to love your life wife well. There's never a shortage of love. So in other words, what the concept is, you love their mother well, and what it does is it overflows over to the kids. Because what's the kids need most, more than anything is they need a strong, stable home. You get a strong, stable couple, they produce a strong, stable home. And it's, those are the building blocks that begin. I, I view everything through the, through the picture of like a fountain. It's, it's you and your relationship with God, you and your relationship with yourself, you and your relationship with your spouse, you and your relationship with your children, you and your relationship with your larger family. And it, it flows. It's an overflow of love. It's an overflow that creates. So the more that godly man focuses on his heart towards God, which is that first level of the fountain, it flows to how, how, he, how he handles himself and then how he handles his spouse. Because spouse. if you want to raise godly children, they've, it's, it, God designed it to be set up in a two-parent home where they love each other well. Mark, Mark we, we talked about this in the back room a little bit. Um, so we know when we say this, if, if I use the term heavenly father. So here's what I would say. Uh, if you summarize some of what you're saying, and, and look, somebody asked me how to be a godly dad, I'd start talking about spiritual disciplines, heart for God, church, spiritual leadership, fruit of the spirit, all that. But in essence, if we put it in theolo- theological terms, earthly fathers represent the heavenly father. Uh, so that gives us a little bit of an idea. But there's a lot of people, when they hear the term father, they don't have good, um, they don't feel good vibes, right? Because of some, some, and I think what you said, there are generational issues that have to be dealt with. Helps overcome some of that, right? So how do I break that, those generational issues in my life where I didn't have a good dad or granddad, it goes back. It starts with what you said at top, right? I can break that generational issue if I'll start and focus on a relationship with God primarily. 
Yeah, that right. that has to be the first place. I mean, if you focus in on on your children, what's so hard in our present generation is we've created this world where it's a child-focused home, and what ends up happening is you end up raising unbalanced, selfish kids. When they see that there's something larger than themselves, that dad has this amazing relationship with mom and an amazing relationship with God, that creates a greater, safer home. This is the area I was curious where when we get here in the discussion, because there's many people that even for those online, the moment you clicked and find out this is is going to be a father's you you're you turn it you turn it off so mainly because there's so many father wounds that are there it's sad because we have so many people where their father either the this things he did or didn't do it's either the absence or the abuse and so for many of you i i there's just a, a genuine sensitivity to the reality that you struggle with what is the picture of a godly man as i as i thought about this question What's so difficult with it is you start to think in your mind, okay, what's the, what's the examples? What examples have I seen of a godly man in my life? And sometimes for some of us, it's hard to, mm. it's hard to think of them. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the sad part about it is many of you think, well, it's the two guys here on the stage, but I hate to tell you, we're weird. <laughs> now, what, now, what I mean by that is we talk for a living. Right. So consequently, it's the picture that a godly man always talks. A, a godly man is someone that can constantly talk about it. And I think it's more about your behavior than it is mm -hmm. about your words. Mm -hmm. uh, a godly man is focused in on behavior that represents Christ in a way where there's love, there's kindness, there's compassion. One of the fascinating things about the research is the, the longest study about fathers was a 26-year study. And the, and the study was if involved fathers are there, kids are more empathetic. Mm meaning they're actually more kind to others. Mm. They're more loving to others. That's a fascinating uh, piece of research when you think about it. You think, well, mom is the, is the element of compassion in a child's life. It's dad involvement wow. is the picture that produces compassion. Yeah, and you just said that about a godly example. We've got to move on, but the first thing I thought was there's, there's no place but the church to go to find a godly example yeah. in society. So. Yeah. So Hollywood's not going to produce a, a music industry is not going to produce a picture of a godly example. Like the only place to go, because if you didn't have one growing up, some, some of you did, man, some of you had a great godly dad. And, and so we say that and they get an image that's awesome. So many others didn't. And so they don't have one in their heritage, but that's why even the church is important because it's the only hope of us getting an image of a godly dad. The sad part is you look at what, what, in media, when you look at what you see on TV or in movies, dads are usually the buffoon. Always, dads are usually always. the guy that really is he's either angry or stupid. Yeah. You know, one, one or the other. There's that. So the only place you're going to get it is in the context of living in community. And what's that community? It's church. Yeah, exactly. So, hey, question number two. Dads, this is straight for you. This came from quite a few dads. Uh, dads mentioned having the need to be appreciated. Is that a big need for dads, and how can moms and kids show appreciation to a father? Um, I think a man's greatest fear is failure. Mm. Um, I think that's his greatest fear. A woman's greatest fear is abandonment. A man's greatest fear is, is failure. This, his need for admiration, that's probably a better way to be able to see this, his need for admiration is not a sign of his weakness. It's not a sign of some other, oh, wow, I've got to fill his cup. That is how he experiences love. So what's fascinating with this is for a man, if you want to tell him you love him, you're telling him you admire him. When a woman, you tell her you love her, you want to tell her that you, that you enjoy her and that you want her. 
And so what ends up happening is that it's that that's the nuances of how we experience love for many women. They think, well, no, this is cause and effect. You give me something to admire and then and then I'll admire it. And and you've got to realize, no, you have to every day wake up and look for ways to be able to show. Matter of fact, it's the highest predictor of divorce. The highest predictor of divorce is actually the acknowledgement of, of acknowledging the wow. positive. And versus how much you acknowledge the negative. Yeah, I, 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 I just dug in a little bit on the importance of gratitude in the marketplace because yeah. sometimes I like to compare that. And uh, they said in the marketplace, showing gratitude increases a person's wellness, increases better sleep habits, metabolism, and less stress, right? In one study, employees who heard a message of gratitude, it was, a, it was an entity that made phone calls for a living, uh, employees who'd been shown gratitude made 50% more calls than those who did not in a study. Yeah. Gratitude does spur us on like, yeah. like, like that. It's that important. And I would agree with Mark, men need the respect of gratitude. And ladies, I want to tell you a story. I'm preaching now. I want to tell you a story. Uh, in my own, let me tell a personal story. Because um, we're going to talk about household chores in a moment. But let me, let me tie it into gratitude and appreciation. Appreciation. Uh, my wife figured out early in our marriage that um, I'm going to use a biblical word, uh, a big, nagging. Nagging did not work, right? That's a biblical word. I'll, I'll read you the verse in a minute. Nagging did not work. And so let's just talk about taking out the garbage. Taking the garbage was not the issue, but let me use taking out the garbage as an issue. Uh, and my wife would be like, take the garbage out, take the garbage out. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to. I was eating a bag of chips and just, you know, not doing it, taking the garbage. We were kids and it wasn't taking out the garbage, but stuff like that. And I'd be like, going to. And so my wife, you know, I, I told you, she, she reads, she, especially early on, she'd read three, four books a year on parenting, marriage. Like she, she was trying to invest in our marriage and figure out how to handle me and all that stuff. And so she's doing it. And so my wife started doing this. And I want you to know, Mark, I knew what she was doing. Like I'm not a patsy. I knew what she was doing. One day I took the garbage out and she's like, wow. I'm like, what? The way your muscles moved when you took the garbage out. <laughs> and I knew what she was doing. Like, I know this trick. And, and, and I'm like, really? And she's like, oh, wow. So like, I can't tell you, tears in my eyes, I can't tell you what it means to me when you take the garbage out. You, you are the best garbage taken out person in the world. Have you thought about writing a book on taking the garbage out? But... I just thought about it. I thought about it. I'm going to go mow the yard now because I, I, I'm going to mow it with my shirt off. I want you to see me mowing it with my shirt off. See the garbage. And like literally she used, when we're going to talk about dividing up household chores in a minute, but, but ladies, ladies, I want to tell you, there are, there are practical benefits to you be looking, like Mark said. You have to get up and look for those things to be appreciative about for your husband. Because it, it's going to make a long-term difference in your marriage. For um, a woman is so connected to her home. She's so connected to every aspect of her home that when she sees that he's not being involved, her knee-jerk is to criticize. Her knee-jerk, knee-jerk is to correct it out. The reason why that ancient fable, the princess and the pea, is there, because you remember how the, the fable worked, it's the woman could feel the pea after, after 20 mattresses. It's the concept of, for many women, if the relationship is 90% great, she, she thinks, let's work on the 
if we work on the 10%, we're going to have a great life. And a man is going, can we not just overjoy and be overfocused on the 90%? And so consequently, what happens is for many women, part of your work is to recognize no matter where that ratio is, you got, he's got to hear your admiration, your encouragement, your praise. And, and it, it's not a sign of his weakness. It's a sign of how God made him. I've never heard that before, and that explains my wife and I to a T. Because she'd be like, we got these ten things, and we got one we need to work on. I'm like, no, let's concentrate on the nine that are awesome. Why would we work on the one? Let's just celebrate it. I needed that. I'm glad I came. All right. All right. So men and women in, in the survey both mentioned the need for time management, and here's how it went. The men mentioned they needed time management skills, and the women mentioned their husbands needed time management skills, right? They both agreed. So Mark, here's, here's what I'm curious about. Uh, can a man ever reach balance? And what are some skills you've seen people use that help them manage their time? I think it's always a struggle for a man, um, primarily because the, the goal is when you come home, many times you, you check out. But the other piece of it is it's fascinating. Men don't multitask. You do one thing at a time. That's partly why men play so much better with their kids than mothers do. Because when mom's trying to play, she's trying to wash dishes, you know, do, do, the, do the laundry, and, and, and clean the living room all at the same time that she's playing. Whereas dad, he only does one thing at a time. And so part of the struggle is that dynamic of, that, of trying to realize how do you move from one task to the next. Because asking a man to multitask usually is a little bit more of a struggle. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say this, and um, there's a lot of research coming out saying this now, uh, for men, time, for anybody, time, balance is a myth. Like there's no, you're never going to balance your time. That's just not yeah. practical. Um, you're, and I wrote this statement down in my notes and I, man, I hate to say it, but I'm just going to say it because you just need to know it. You're always going to be working and tired. Just learn to love it. Like you're never going to reach that point in life where you're like, Whew, we can sit back. Like we thought it, empty nesters. It's going to be a great life. Do what we want to do. We had grandkids, and it's just 2.0 again. Like now we're is, and you hear people that are retired. People that retired are like, man, I've never worked so hard until the day I retired. Now I, I, I'm thinking about getting a job again, you know, and because they're it, just other things take up your time. And so I, I know this, men, if you're looking for a work life home balance, stop looking for it. You're just going to be tired. That's life. I will say this. I'm 54, and I'm now in the grandparent stage of life. And I'm going to say this. Attack different stages in different ways. Like, here, here's what I mean by that. Um, I like to make plans. I like lists. I like to say, I'm going to do this, and this is the way it's always going to be, and I'm going to figure this out. Life doesn't work that way. You've got a toddler stage. You've got a teenager stage. You've got a uh, and there's 10 different stages in between all those. And then, then you've got, you just learn to live in that stage and do the best you can and manage your time. I- I'll tell you this, every stage is stressful. So whatever stage you're in, you think it's the worst, hold on, it gets worse. Every stage is stressful, right? And, and I remember this, uh, our girls are five years apart. And, and we were big sports family and basketball was our sport. And there was this time when we had, we, we had one in high school basketball and one in middle school basketball. And what that meant is we, we went separate ways. And so uh, there were 40 games a year in high school, 40 games a year in middle school, tournaments. We were always gone, that kind of thing. And every meal was McDonald's, Wendy's, like nothing healthy about our lifestyle at all. Homework in the car, getting home after midnight, get up at 6 a.m., do it all again the next day. 
And there were one day we were sitting in the gym, Sherry and I, and we were together this day, and we just kind of looked at each other like, I don't have it. We got to do this for six more years. I don't know that I can do this six more years. Like, we are exhausted right now. And I, I remember God gave me a word. I looked at her and I said, hey, here's what I feel like. I may be wrong. Here's what I feel like. There's going to become a time in our lives where we'd give anything to be sitting in a gym watching a basketball game of our kids. So let's just live in this moment. Know we're busy. Know it's crazy. It's fine. It's fine. Now, now let me throw a monkey wrench on that. Do it. Um, if a devil can't make you bad, it'll make you busy. I agree. Um, I agree. It's, it's, a, it's a quote. I don't even really sure where the quote comes from. If a devil can't make you bad, it'll make you busy. Because bottom line, it accomplishes many times, it accomplishes the same things. So just like when you think about when you're raising your kids, there are core things you know they have to do. They've got to take a bath. <laughs> bottom line, they've got to do their homework. They've got to do some level of cleaning their warm room. So what I'm saying is make sure the busyness doesn't remove the priority of dad coming home and actually being involved in the home. In which there is the recognition that, guess what, especially when they're in the toddler stage, that you come home and you're part of bath time, that you come home and you're part of bedtime, that you come home and there's the ritual of praying with your kids every single night. We, we had this ritual. Uh, we have a 32-year-old daughter, and starting real early on, every night we would pray with her. And when we would pray with her, we would, we would uh, kiss her. I would kiss her on this side of the cheek. My wife would kiss her on this side. And then we'd do the same thing to my wife, the same thing to me, and then to my daughter. At 32 years old when she comes to our house we still do the exact same thing her kids can be in bed and matter of fact her husband can be in bed and she'll come find us and we'll do that kiss and we'll pray that that became such a ritual so one of the things you're looking for no matter how busy you are look for the rituals the rituals of bedtime the rituals of some kind of a prayer the rituals of some kind of a process where dad is moving towards them and being a part of it and being empathetic with it because otherwise what happens is the busyness robs you of the good things. And I'm not saying being at a basketball game is not a, it's not a wonderful thing, but those quieter moments where dad's there, he's involved, that's vital to the process. Yep, love it. So you, you brought it up, so we're going to go there. Um, I don't have to say this. Women really pounded their husbands on this next question. Mark, women need their husbands helping carry the load at home, like just plain old-fashioned manual labor women, women mentioned it over and over again and I'll, I'll give you some ideas help with the kids yeah. was mentioned uh help around the house picking up your own clothes you, you know doing lot all those things were mentioned so so many more so when I read that uh that felt to me like a real conversation need to be had and probably had on a continual basis is how I would uh, counsel to do that there is a breach in the relationship right here. Like, so there was, there was some major anxiety in those questions that were brought in. There's some breach in the relationship that needs to be repaired. So how do they have this conversation without it about, hey, I need help, without it getting testy? And what's a good way to divide up chores and responsibilities? So let me use a microcosm of Sunday morning. Um, for especially for those of you that in the, in in for those of you in the room that have little ones or kids that kids period Sunday morning is profoundly hectic. You got to get the kids out of bed. You then got to get them fed. You got to get them many sometimes bathed, and then sometimes you got to be able to get them get them clothed, and then you got to get them out the door. 
And what ends up happening is many times that's the time dad is so profoundly checked out. Mm-hmm. And, and so many times you see you watch, watch young families walk in that door out there and watch and look and see how, how frazzled mom looks when they walk in the door. So the picture has to be, to give you an example, we, uh, on Sunday mornings, I was the one that was responsible to get Amanda up. I was the one that was responsible to get her fed. I was the one that was responsible to get her clean. While I was doing all that, my wife was getting ready. Then we switched, and my wife got her dressed, and I got ready. What ends up, it's, it's, it's the picture of having a discussion that says, these are the things that has to happen Sunday morning. Here's the struggle. On a man's part, you got to be prepared to engage, because again, a man's greatest fear is failure. So what, what, what's his greatest coping mechanism? Withdraw and avoidance. He withdraws and avoid. What's a woman's greatest fear? It's abandonment. So what she does is she defaults to more and more words. So she starts to give him more and more instruction, more and more feedback, more and more of all the ways he's doing it wrong, more and more of all the ways he could do it better. So what's a man's reaction? He withdraws and avoids. So here, here's the picture. Debbie never once that I can remember complained about what I fed Amanda that morning, never complained about, about well, how well I gave the bath how, and whether or not I got her up at the exact moment. She was just overjoyed. She had time to get ready, and we switched. That, that same kind of a picture has to happen every night. The fathers have to be prepared to come home and realize i got to come home and engage. The awkwardness in this I guarantee you, each one of you know that tomorrow morning when you go to work, you know what's going to be required when you walk in the door. You know what your job is, what's your responsibility, how you're going to have to engage in the job. What ends up happening is at home, many times husbands do the exact opposite. They come home and they check out. So you have to, you've got to have dialogue and discussion about simply what needs to be done, and it's got to be done with the gratitude piece that we mentioned earlier. Yeah, because... When it comes to home stuff, I'll, hey, ladies, I'll tell you this. I don't really understand everything that has got to happen until you tell me. And, and I think this may be true of all men and women. I don't know. But if we're going to clean our house, my wife will say, well, you go vacuum that room and then come find me. And, I, and I'll tell you what to do next. And I'm like, no, no, I need the list. I need to know when I've won. I need to know when I've scored a touchdown. So I need the list. So I can say Touchdown. And, and that's why we like, but we don't know how to do stuff, you, you know, for sure. And um, another example is on Saturday mornings, we would do things like on Thursday, Wednesday and Thursday, we're talking about what's going to happen Saturday. And we're going to talk about what chores we're going to do what, or what places we've got to go. And the reason for that discussion is when on Saturday are we going to stop and play? When on Saturday are we going to stop? We stopping at eleven? We stopping at three? We stopping at one? When in that day? And then we start talking about all the chores that have to be done that Saturday morning. But the whole goal was when were we going to stop so we could play? Mm-hmm. When could we? When 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 were we going to stop where we could actually enjoy the day or do other things as a family or as individuals that we're rich and enjoying? But we were having that discussion every week on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So we got up Saturday morning knowing what time we were going to eat breakfast, which cartoons we were going to watch, and when we were going to start on chores and what the chores were. Yep. So that's the conversation you need to have. Like that's uh, men don't like a lot of times, ladies. I think you would think. Well, he, he knows to pick up his socks. You'd be shocked at how we don't know stuff like that. We do think there's a sock fairy that floats through the house at night and takes them. And what, well, we don't know. And, and just simple conversation like that uh, and not in the heat of the moment 
helps. And guys, I'm going to tell you, you got to own that when you come home. I'm going to preach a little bit now. Like, like I was not perfect at this. I had, my wife basically had to train me. Like I needed some training. Um, and so we had a rule in our house. I think I may have, I've told you this before. No one sits until everyone sits. Like we had a rule in our house. You are not allowed to sit and watch someone else work. So if somebody else is working, we're all up working. Like you don't sit. And my girls will tell you that was a rule. Like I, I, my, I, there is no way I would sit down and watch my wife work. I don't have that within me. I, I don't let my wife get up earlier than me, except every now and then she'll get up like at three o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, yeah, you got it now. But a normal morning, like I'm, I'm up before her because I want to get my day started before she gets her day started. We don't sit. And if you'll just have that one simple rule, Nobody sits until everybody sits. I also had this rule in my house. I don't let my wife do everything. Here's, here's what I mean by that. We entertain company at our house. Family comes over. That normally means my wife has spent hours cooking a meal. So while she's eating, say with her family, I get up and start cleaning the kitchen because my rule is you cook it, I'll clean it, and I'll have all this cleaned up. Now, I, I become OCD about it a little bit, and I'll start cleaning before I'll start taking people's plates out from under them while they're still trying to put a bite in their mouth. And the other day, the family was coming over. My wife had cooked, and she said, Joel, she set me down. One of these always makes you nervous. I need to have a conversation <laughs> with you. I'm like, oh, what have I done? And, and so she's on, here's, she's a family's coming over tonight. I know you want to clean. I don't want you to clean. I just want to sit and talk. But I need that conversation because I would have cleaned, but she wanted me to sit and talk. And uh, it was hard, but I did it. And so we, I just do that. If she cooks it, I, I'll clean it. If I were to cook it, she can clean it. That's never going to happen. So I know the rule is she cooks it and I clean it. But just a few simple things. I mean, those are practical things that, but I think what ha needs to happen first, ladies, is you've got to have the conversation because you're, you're assuming knowledge on his part. Like even getting, I had two girls, no idea what to do. Like none whatsoever what to do. I had to be told every step of the way, here's how you bathe the girl and here's how you dress the girl and here's how you do yeah. Yeah. To, the, to the day I did ponytails forever and they were always on the side of their head <laughs> but I did the best I could do you know when I do and she didn't complain yeah. you know yeah. she might redo it but yep. she didn't mm -hmm. complain I did it <laughs> all right hey we heard these words over and over communication listening communicationing listening we kept seeing those words uh Mark women need their husbands to do both communicate and listen help us out a little bit um <clears throat> Just a couple of tech, tech, uh, tips and techniques with this. Men don't like face-to-face -face communication. They do better with side-to-side. -side. The actual research is when a man has to look straight in the eyes, his blood pressure goes up, his heart rate goes up, and the actual research puts it as he starts to feel agitated. He starts to feel aroused, meaning that he's starting. So you're going to find a man does better with side-to-side -side discussion. So you're going to find it's this thing where you're going, the research puts it where the most intimate discussions that women have with their husbands is when he's driving or he's on the phone. Um. Why? It's because he has something to fidget with. Mm. He has something to kind of distract himself, and you'll find you'll get more honest communication with him if you go for a walk with him, if you go for a ride with him. If you actually, just Debbie and I, some of our best discussions were I'm cleaning the kitchen and she's doing the laundry. We're all doing that in the same room. Why she would rather we sit down at the table and have this intimate face-to-face -face discussion with a cup of coffee. But yet, for me, I do better if I've got something to kind of fiddle with. It just simply because I, it just, I, I'm, I can find I'm more open, I'm more honest with that communication. For many, many couples, you need to set 
times each week where there is, I mean, for many things, you want to create almost like a business discussion where on, on an example for Debbie and I, it's, it's that we sit down regularly and we'll look at two things. We look at the bank account and we'll, and we'll, and we'll look at the calendar. We're trying to kind of make sure we're both on the same page because what happens is you expect them to mind read. You expect them to figure it out. And I'll t I, the one thing I can guarantee, if you expect them to mind read, what they will imagine is usually worse than reality. <laughs> you, 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 if you do not yes. give them information, if you expect them to come up with something, it, it will usually be inaccurate. It'll usually be, are, are you angry at me? Are you, are you, are you upset? What, what, what's wrong? Are you, are you still upset about, about last Tuesday? Because you're not giving them something. So you've got to give them something. Even the communication of a smile and a touch even the communication of, of, of a thank you, even the communication of a hug, communicates something. Because for many men, they come home when they stay in there. And men, I hate to say this, I'm going to throw you under the bus. Men don't have a nothing box. They say they do, but they don't. There's something going on in the box, but it's usually stupid. <laughs> they're, they're, they're thinking about, why is that tree over there? When am I going to do that? When am I going to cut the grass? And, in other words, it, it, it's just they've got to have time to process. Yeah, so... Um uh, I love that idea of talking while he can expend some energy a little bit. Yep. Ladies, just that's not during a football game. Like that's no. not optimum time for the no. conversation. No. Um, uh, so some women want to do that name Sherry. And so that's not an optimum <laughs> conversation. But I never heard that about not looking the eyeballs. And yeah. can I give an example of that? I married my nephew yesterday. Mm -hmm. And so there comes a point in the wedding where I tell the couple to hold hands. Yeah. And I told them that I was going to have that couple. And I said, y'all just look at each other. I said, in the eyes. And, you know, just say you love each other with your eyes or whisper. So I'm back in the groom's room with him. And he said, hey, during that part where we hold hands and you tell us to, he said, if it's okay, I'm going to look at you. Yeah. And I was like, it's yeah. not really okay. Yeah. And he's like, well, I'm just afraid, you know, if I look at her, I'm going to start giggling. I said, that's not appropriate when, yeah. when, when I'm saying about to marry you. Yeah. He said, we just, you know, and I said, well, uh, okay. I said, but I'm going to say this. When you're saying your vows, look at her, not me. I'm not marrying you, man. I, I, I'm not putting a ring in your finger, man. But it goes back to prove what you yeah. just said. We don't like that yeah. eye contact. Yeah. Love, love that. All right. Two final questions. We'll do it quickly. Um, Women mention needing emotional support, and they use words like this, hugs, notes, validation. How can a husband, father, emotionally support his wife, family? Um, it's fascinating. Women feel like their husband moved towards them to consume. In other words, they're, they're, they, they move towards to consume goods and services, whether the goods and services is in, in the bedroom or the goods and services are somewhere, out, somewhere in, the, in the home. And so for many women, the moment a man starts to begin to touch her, she'll start to close off. If it's what's fascinating is many women are even afraid to touch their husband because if I touch him, it's the, the feeling that somehow or another he's going to expect something else. Well, that's a, so, that's a vicious so, cycle, yeah, isn't it, right, the, yeah. the, what you just said? So that's what it does word. is it creates, it, bottom line, what the, the, what the fear with this is it creates the age marriage where the husband's on this path, the, the wife is on this path, and there's less and less they come across for. Mm. The, age gets wider, the age gets wider and wider, and then there becomes less and less reasons to come across. Mm. So you've got to look for ways to actually touch her, to talk to her, to enjoy her, to move towards her, because again, her greatest fear is abandonment. So how do, you, how do you fight that fear? You let her know that she's wanted, enjoyed, and delighted in. 
And how do you do that? You do that through your gaze, through your touch, through your conversation, towards leaning towards her. You're, and they really are almost more, mainly nonverbal. Yeah, as a note, a wonderful thing, especially if her love language is, is words of affirmation. But many times, it's just simply involving her in your life. Talking to her about what you're stressed, what you're stressed over. Talking to her about what's going on. But adding that, that touch, adding that where you're leaning towards her for no other purpose other than to say, I enjoy you. Love it. All right, last question. Uh, we saw this word over and over. Men, you, you put it out there and loved it, and women did too. They mentioned they need their husbands to lead. And we saw that word so many times in the response to lead, 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 lead. It was mentioned lead financially, lead spiritually, lead romantically. Mark, help us out here. How do men do that lead, and what does it look like? So, so the first thing, let me direct you to uh, John 13. Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. He makes two sta statements when he, after he washes their feet. He said, I've laid down a pattern and for you to follow. And for those of you that get it, go do it. So it's the picture of your goal is to go home and actually be the chief servant in the home. So it means that you're looking for ways to lead. You, what's lead? You're looking for ways to make a difference. You're looking for ways to make an impact. The, the hard part, I go back to that statement, for many men when they hear lead, they think what I do is I lead with my mouth. Mm. In other words, I lead with instruction. I lead, I, lead with, I lead with input. I lead with telling you what's right or what's wrong. And, or, or I lead because I can give the best prayer. Or I lead because somehow or another I can figure the Bible out better than anybody. You leave more by the heart of your servant, your servant heart. You lead more by caring about the people that are around you in a way of realizing and knowing, just the leading, knowing your wife needs a date night with you. She genuinely needs that. For, to knowing that your kids really need dad to be involved with, 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 a, with, with the bedtime rituals, even 15-year-old bedtime rituals. N knowing that they, they need to know that you're actually paying attention to the finances and that you're actually involved and there's an actual plan with it. Lay down that pattern of actually, of, of actually living that out. Yep. So, so, I mean, you heard those three things. Thank you, Mark. You heard financially, spiritually, romantically, right? Financially, I don't care who pays the bills in your family. Yeah, I know sometimes women do it. Some, sometimes men do it. But that's not a reason to be checked out financially at, at home. You, you've got to be involved in that. You've got you've to own things i mean i'm just gonna be very practical you got to own things like your credit score and things like that for your family that's that kind of stuff matters she wants you involved in those financial decisions um she needs you to lead spiritually go what were you going to say with, with the finances the way i typically put it someone's the clerk yeah. in other words they're the person who actually pays the bills they write the checks or set up the electronic but yet both of you have to be regularly involved with a plan both of you have to be regularly involved with structure. Dad, husband, you got to lead that. Whether that's a weekly discussion, there's got to be a workable plan. She'll feel safer if she feels like you're, and you'll find if she feels safe, she opens up with a whole lot more smiles. Yeah. So, and I'll give you an example of that. I'm the clerk. I pay all the bills, manage every bit of the finance. Sherry will tell you she wouldn't know how to pay the electric bill without me. But every month when I, I, I do it once a month, I sit down and pay all of our bills for the month. I then march to where she is and give her a rundown of everything. How much money's here? How much money's here? What this costs? And like, she has a good working knowledge of it and she's involved in it. I'm just, I'm the clerk of that. Uh, men, they need you to lead spiritually. 
and here's some of the things we saw they they don't want to have to drag you to church they want you leading the family to church they want you taking the active role that that even means men if if your wife is sick and can't come you'll you'll come or you'll bring the kids yourself like like you're the leader of that you you move that spiritual prayer at home bible reading you're walking with god they need you to do that and then romantically um i find there's tend to be one romantic in the relationship and a lot of times it's not the man a lot of times it's not the man but they need you to do those things and that goes back to what mark said earlier it shows that appreciation and care non um and of course men hear romantic and they think one thing and that's not what your wife's thinking right your wife's thinking flowers cards notes uh unconditional love those kind of things hey would you thank mark for being here this morning we gotta wrap that up thank you mark thank you would you stand with me heads bowed eyes closed our pastors are coming hey thank you pastor joel and mark uh, for that inspiring time just to hear the conversation between them about all things dad and husband and how we can be our very very best in life because let's be honest men our families need us and I think the women watching this would agree with that too we need to step up to the plate and the job and the task that we have in our roles as husbands as fathers and we need to lead our families well and uh, hey I'll be honest with you as we've walked through this time uh, of conversation this morning uh, there's lots to be learned about being a good dad but can I tell you uh, that if you're not a Christian if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus there is no more important thing that you can do for your family than to give your heart and life to Jesus. Because if you're trying to be the best dad you can be, the best husband you can be, the best man that you can be, you're trying to manage your work life, your home life, your spiritual life, but you're not a Christian, then all of that work is for nothing. And so today I would encourage you, maybe what your family needs from you today is for you to step up. Maybe your family needs from you for you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, to secure your home in heaven one day. And let me tell you, when you give your life to Jesus, your family won't even recognize you because the Holy Spirit has the power to change and develop and mold you and help you to be the best that you can be. And so today, if you'd like to give your heart and life to Jesus, uh, it really is simple as A, B, and C. A, you've got to admit that you're a sinner and that you can't save yourself. B, you've got to believe that Christ died on the cross, that He rose again on the third day, and He ascended into heaven where He is now. And then C, you've got to confess your sin and commit your life to Jesus. And it really is that simple. We do all of that in the form of a prayer, and it's not the prayer that saves you, but it's the intent of your heart to give your heart and life to Jesus. And that is where your salvation comes from. So this morning, if you need to give your heart and life to Jesus, don't wait. Let it be in this moment just now, no matter where you're watching from. Uh, would you just tell God this? In the stillness of the, this moment, just bow your head and tell God this. Say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I believe you died on the cross for me. Lord, I know that I've sinned. I ask for you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a home in heaven. Save me. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. Hey, can I tell you that if you just gave your heart and life to Jesus, 
then you are now a Christian. Welcome to the family. Uh, we are so proud of your decision this morning and uh, proud of your decision to give your heart and life to Jesus. And so we want to connect with you. And so if you gave your heart and life to Jesus this morning, uh, then we've just dropped a link in the chat box uh, that says, I prayed to receive Christ. Just click on that link and uh, we're going to send you some information on how to be, uh, how to begin your journey as a Christian and in this Christian walk. And so you need the family of God around you as you begin that faith journey. And so just click that link we've just dropped in the chat box this morning. Well, hey, it's been a great day in the Lord's house. Uh, men, I hope you have the best Father's Day today. I hope you eat what you want and have a great time with your family uh, this afternoon and for the rest of this day. And uh, happy Father's Day. We're so thankful for all of those awesome dads out there. We look forward to seeing you back at Pivot Online next Sunday right here. Take care. We'll see you then. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.